Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 48th episode of 2021. This was a big week for the Fiber Broadband Association in Washington, D.C. We held our premier member meeting on Tuesday, where our guests included Congressman Bob Latta, who is the Republican leader for the Communications and Technology Subcommittee from the House Energy and Commerce Committee. Also, we had Doug Kinkoff from... Uh, NTIA, who walked us through the latest details of the $46 billion from the infrastructure plan that he's responsible for administering for broadband. We also had Catherine DeWitt from Pew, who discussed what Pew is doing to support the broadband infrastructure rollout. A key highlight from our meeting was the Fiber Broadband Association's research partner, Mike Render, who presented the latest fiber deployment survey results, and he is forecasting that more fiber will be deployed in the next five years than has been deployed in the past 20. Today is Fiber Broadband Association's board meeting where we're gonna be welcoming our newly elected board members and we'll be discussing our plans and strategy for 2022 and beyond. You know, last week, uh, FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel's nomination advanced out of the Senate Commerce Committee and now heads to the full Senate for a vote. Also last week, the Senate held confirmation hearings for Gigi Sohm to fill the open FCCC and for Alan Davidson to head NTIA. If all goes well, we'll have the leadership in place for both the FCC and NTIA going into 2022. This is very important as 2022 will be the biggest fiber deployment year in history. Speaking of fiber deployment, this morning's fiber breakfast session is, it's time to build, removing barriers to accelerate broadband deployment. Last week, we met with Mike Bell, the head of Corning's optical communications operations, and discussed unlocking a historic opportunity, innovation for the next wave of growth. This morning, our guest is Alex Hergott of the Permitting Institute. And our topic is, it's time to build, removing barriers to accelerate broadband deployment. Alex Hergott is a nationally recognized infrastructure policy and project delivery expert with experience that spans a broad range of industry. He created the Permitting Institute in January 2021 after nearly two decades of creating bipartisan partnerships and common sense reforms in Congress, the executive branch and the private sector. His work continues to focus on the needed infrastructure improvements that would deliver economic growth while ensuring a comprehensive review of policies in place to minimize impacts on the natural environment. Most recently, Alex served as the executive director of the Federal Permitting Improvement Steering Council. In this role, he was empowered to work with Congress and the executive office of the president to streamline the federal process and deliver unprecedented time savings for projects, including some of the largest renewable and conventional energy projects in the world. So welcome, Alex. And for our audience, you know, please type in your questions as you go. And... Uh, we will respond to those Q&A on email. So thanks, and over to you, Alex. I appreciate the opportunity to, 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 uh, to talk to folks this morning. I think 
Um, you know, in addition to that role in the administration, I think it's important to point out that in my 15 years in the Senate and leadership roles in the Environment and Public Works Committee, working across both sides of the aisle and drafting things such as one federal decision and other things in the permitting landscape, it's important to know that the permitting issues, or at least removing the headwinds on the capital being put at risk, whether it be fiber broadband, transmission, wind and solar, has become this issue that is so complicated and gets in the weeds so quickly that oftentimes the hyperbole of our flanks on both political flanks um, talk about it in absentia in themes about environmental rollbacks. It is a canard that making things faster and removing the headwinds on private sector capital that are trying to rebuild, modernize and expand critical infrastructure such as broadband in this country is a political issue. It absolutely isn't. And I think uh, it's important for us to recognize that these issues are entirely solvable. And at this point, uh, there are solutions that Congress has addressed, uh, and, but there is significant work to be done at the tribes, the states, and, and that is the reason why I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about the opportunities and the challenges that still exist and the things that you can do now, working with Gary and this uh, with the, the fiber group to ensure that the 65 billion um, that's just out of the federal process would be matched 10 to one by the private sector, uh, that we don't lose the 20 to 30%, which is taken right off the top for unnecessary overhead, avoidable delays, litigation, NIMBYist, and those that hold back the very, uh, the very modernization of our, our telecommunication system that, that we absolutely count on, but forget how we actually get there. Um, I think uh, um, it's, uh, which is why we, we decided uh, to, to start something called the Permitting Institute, a nonprofit that would bring both sides together, would source from, uh, would source from uh, not only those that worked within agencies, uh, but also those that worked in the private sector to bring common sense uh, back to this debate so that uh, it doesn't get lost, uh, it doesn't get lost in political rhetoric that we actually have real solutions, not the illusions of solutions, um, and, and everyone goes home. Meanwhile, those that are actually trying to build uh, rebuild aspects of this country in different sectors um, are left to continue to walk through what is an overly complicated, outdated federal, state, local, and tribal permitting process with no real adults in the room. So um, with that being said, I think uh, what we're going to walk through is I'm going to try and make this overly complicated issue very simple. You don't need to have a law degree to understand how to solve the permitting issues. Uh, just common sense and a recognition that coordination, collaboration, and working within uh, existing processes is the way that we can actually change the environment that currently exists. You shouldn't have to, as a carrier, as a provider, as, as a vendor uh, for broadband, to hire three or four law firms, consultants, uh, and several others just to navigate a process in which, uh, which federal regulators who are not so familiar with the new technologies that are emerging, especially in the fiber space, whether it be at the Corps of Engineers or EPA or the Royal Utility Service, you can't expect them to navigate up to 13 federal agencies. If we go to the, the, next, the next slide to give you the example of the process chart, every project, whether it be a water system, whether it be new broadband, and whether it be issues that, that emerge, whether it be a DOT and co-locating uh, co fiber while projects are actually happening, it doesn't matter from a small project to a large project. The challenge is, is one of a system that is built to fill with outdated laws that were passed over the last 80 years, built out of different committees out of the House and Senate, then augmented with a cast of court precedent um, that has established in a new baseline and new regulations. The process is extremely complicated. And it, at some point, the federal government started treating those putting capital at risk to rebuild the country as adversaries rather than customers in a system that they paid for. And this has nothing to do with 
with, it's not a Republican position or Democrat position, it's a truly academic position that in order to roll through this slide that you see before you is 13 agencies, 65 different statutes, 45 executive orders, uh, and 26 emerging regulations that are constantly changing that you must embrace uh, as you ask a government decision maker to give you initial right-of-way clearance, approval on a categorical exclusion, or even for the large projects where you need one of these big environmental impact statements that might take multiple years. The problem is not that the that, that government regulators are against development. It is that the system that you see below you is built uh, before the internet in a way in which it forces those that are championing a project through the government process as a lead agency have to coordinate across a disparate universe of folks that are spread across the country in field offices whether it be in Walla Walla, Idaho, at the Army Corps office, talking to the BLM office in Nevada for a long linear fiber installation, all the way over back to headquarters to get final sign-off. And that's before you even get to the state and locals where you have your own setting perimeter regimes. The average project right now for a simple fiber project that's alongside existing right-of-way, costing it about $30 million a mile, um, shouldn't take six years to get an initial, or six months rather, to get that initial approval from the Department of Transportation that it's okay to do even a, a trench dig, a higher level trench dig without the full dig uh, in, 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 uh, in, in an existing right-of-way that has no environmental impacts. That should be turned around in a week. There's no reason that that can't occur. The problem is when Congress evaluates these, uh, evaluates these solutions, oftentimes they miss the mark and they don't do the hard work. And it's more about the press release of, of having a permitting fix but no one in the last 30 years has gone in and taken a hard look at the overlapping nature and redundancy of these statutes that are holding capital back and are raising the cost of debt and equity for those that are actually operating the telecommunication broadband space. Um, it, it shouldn't be the default risk of a project failing or being sued. It should never be a concern if you do the process correctly. However, the process is so complicated that in order to demystify it, uh, you need a PhD, and you should need a PhD to figure out how to build a project. Can we go back to the PowerPoint, please? Fiber has uh, is, has unlimited interoperable capabilities over existing alternatives. That's just the reality. And the only way that we're going to be able to meet the goals that Gary and I have talked about on a regular basis is about, about uh, how to actually support uh, rural America, even up to the last mile, uh, which oftentimes has become uh, something that Congress has tried to solve. Uh, but 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 finally, we might have an opportunity to really take advantage of, of some of the additional funding, um, is that government is not motivated by operational efficiencies. We may set timelines and deadlines for them, um, but at the end of the day, during that process, there can be additional requests for information. There could be waiting on a licensing decision from uh, NTIA while you're waiting on a water analysis to be done by the Corps of Engineers, and then the Fish and Wildlife Service, who has jurisdiction over uh, trout because they're a river fish, has to do a small amount of analysis because this trenching or a dig that's only going four feet deep for new fiber is crossing a small stream. But then if you're close to a coastal zone, the National Marine Fishery Service, if you're crossing a stream that might have fish that go out into the ocean, that's the National Marine Fishery Service because salmon is an ocean fish. So you'll have the Fish and Wildlife Service, the National Marine Fishery Service, the Corps of Engineers, the EPA, all with their separate biologists, all with separate contractors, all evaluating the same project with no coordination. And you know who pays for those environmental documents? project sponsor. And all that ends up doing is being passed on to the end user. Federal government does not pay the environmental reviews, the project sponsor does. So at the end of the day, it is up to us to hold the agencies accountable for a better and more transparent and predictable process that reduces unnecessary delays without any compromises to environmental or 
community protections. Where in which uh, the the, uh, the permitting landscape is moving and why it was important for or when I left government uh, to to create a nonprofit that would actually bring those practitioners that have actually been a project manager for a multi-million dollar project, multi-billion dollar solar project, or for those that were actually the heads of regulatory, like Chad Roop from the uh, former head of the Rural Utility Service and others, so that we could actually bring a substantive subject matter expertise paired with a GIS technology so that we can offer that up to those putting capital at risk on, especially on the fiber side where the, the overhead margins are so narrow um, and can't afford significant delays um, is, is essential for us to actually figure out how to build a project. Because at the end of the day, it's not just about getting those permits, it's what's gonna be the required mitigation and what is the land and the right of way that it's gonna, I'm gonna have to purchase to offset the near-term impacts of that project. And sometimes those are the costs that are not initially on the front end, but always hit you on the back end. And those are things that oftentimes have led to uh, led to project abandonment and, 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 and a 20 to 30 or 40% increase in overall project cost. Um, our mission, as I described it, is really just to enhance coordination across federal and state decision makers and to hold those government regulators that are not skilled project managers, that are biologists and engineers by training, for, to bridge the communication gap and bridge the understanding between those that are actually putting a project in play and those that actually have to get the approval, because as, as, as it stands now, the way it works is nobody talks to each other. And as a result, we continue to have delays. There are currently 35 large-scale telecommunication projects. Now, some of them are, are on the aerial and, and, and other um, um, aerial wide fiber and some of, some of the other things that are more in the, the, uh, the, the tower space that are a little bit more controversial and complicated. But there's currently 35 bribe-related cases in state and federal court being sued by various jurisdictions. That's just something that doesn't need to occur. Uh, as I discussed, my team, uh, for those that aren't familiar with the Federal Permit Improvement Steering Council, Karen Hanley was the former head under Biden, uh, managing close to a $200 billion for the projects, including uh, some significant broadband projects out uh, in the West where we co-located them with transmission and rail projects in order to reduce some of the overhead. Uh, and then you can see some of my folks uh, uh, that we, we're, we're continuing to source uh, from, from the relevant federal agencies so that uh, we can reach back into the field and hold agencies accountable uh, so that they can't, so we can't continue to have the process as it normally is with folks that uh, that uh, are not able to get the kind of predictability to those, uh, such as those on the call that are actually uh, are actually trying to, to take advantage of the Build Back Better plan. It's not that complicated, and we call it the TPI difference, but it's a new model, and keep in mind, it's open source. We share with the environmental community, we share with tribes, we share with states, uh, is, is, is the recognition that in order to do project prototyping and GIS project analysis brings it in and itemizing all of the problems that you're gonna have on the front end. If you know what all those sticky wickets are gonna be, you can knock them down one by one instead of having them be surprises throughout the process or at the very end when you can least afford it. Knowing what it's gonna take to actually build a project and know all the steps that you need to take, there's no guide path to that. There's no checklist the federal government gives to you unless you have to hire some attorneys in DC to try and figure out how to navigate the process. The guidance that comes out of federal agencies is overlapping and very confusing. And again, you shouldn't need a PhD to build a fiber project. All you should need is a clear roadmap to how to do it correctly and to be done with it and get into service faster without being tied up for two to three years and unnecessary permitting delays. Um, at, 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 the, at the very simple, at the very, many, many of you probably use something like this, but at the end of the day, uh, having a simple dashboard like we created in, at the federal level so that you can itemize and be transparent about all the relevant issues 
that are happening in real time because as we know, permitting is not static. The laws that were passed like the Rivers and Harbors Act of 1904, the Endangered Species Act of 1976, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 75, those laws have not been updated in close to 50 years. While that's happening, we have emerging regulations that are uh, undoing what was done in the last administration, new regulations that are creating new legal court precedent ambiguity that is leaving project sponsors and those putting capital risk across all infrastructure to sit there and go, do I wait six months? Do I do it now and run the risk of finding out that, that I might have an Endangered Species Act issue or I might have a Tribal National Historic Preservation or a Native American Grace Protection Act issue on this alignment that I'm currently uh, planning to move through the process? And there's no one really to hold your hand through that because at the end of the day, initial project siting is done by engineers. They may not necessarily be informed about the political, legal, and, and, and social risk that's going to be attached now and overlaid, and the climate risk overlaid onto that analysis. You shouldn't have to have your engineering term, your planning term, your legal team, your environmental engineering team, you shouldn't have to have that all bulked up at the front. It should be a much simpler process. You shouldn't have to, again, spend spend 20 to 30% just on overhead to make sure that you head off delays in litigation. It doesn't need to be that complicated and there's ways to get around that and they are emerging, especially with new funding out of the Build Back Better plan, which is directly to states, locals, and tribes for them to build up their institutional capacities so that they can move these projects through the system. Because at the end of the day, the reality is there's 200, there's 2,500 vacancies at the Bureau of Land Management, Department of Interior, Army Corps of Engineers, EPA. Even if we wanted to move projects through the pipeline, there's not the people on the other end of the federal government that are gonna be able to move them through. Uh, and at the end of the day, what we have to do is train those folks at the state and local level to understand this process as well as I do, so that when they're talking to those putting capital risk in the broadband space, that there's no, there's no miscommunications. And I'm gonna finish up here. Uh, at the end of the day, the way we do that is it's a hands-on approach. We do trainings out in the field. We work with tribes states on gearing up state permitting councils because oftentimes people sometimes just look at the federal process they forget about the holistic nature of the state and the local process uh and and uh and it's important that we bring staff from the hill from state and local agencies and the, out to these projects to do site visits because what we have found is that many of these regulators those that are in with these agencies have never actually seen a project or been on the ground to actually see what it takes to actually build it they've just been in a room pushing paper and pushing paper without actually having a real world understanding of what it takes to build a project is oftentimes where we have seen some of the biggest flaws. Um, and, and I'm gonna open it up to some questions, um, Gary. Um, I hope that was uh, helpful and not too, not too uh, over the top, but uh, thank you very much for your time. And Gary, um, uh, what, what questions might you have? Yeah, thanks, Alex. Um, so I really like your statement of looking for real solutions versus illusions of solutions. It's almost, it's a daunting task, right? You Now we got $65 billion, everybody's racing out to put in these broadband infrastructure. Yet what you've laid out, it seems like an impossible gauntlet of permitting to get through. I know our members, you know, we've been on the Hill and talking about just simple things like we're doing, you know, putting fiber along an interstate. And that interstate just happens to go across a few miles of um, tribal lands. And so trying to get, you know, spending a year waiting to get permits for that six miles, even though it's the same right away, same highway, same everything. I mean, that's not even to mention things like uh, railroads and all kinds of other things you have to get across. So how does this tool, so explain to me this tool that you guys talked about, how does that tool mitigate all these delays and interactions with all these agencies? 
So in the very simplest form, it's creating a Gantt, chart, a Gantt chart at the very beginning that is an inventory of all the steps, the timing of when they should concur, opportunities to collapse and coordinate within existing existing statutes. So putting that in the initial application that goes to before it is submitted for an approval. Uh, in working, we work very closely with Department of Transportation and on things on Dig Once policy in the Uniform Relocation Act that is ripe for an update after 50 years. So that we're actually more rational about when we're putting public sector resources to, to work for a new transmission road water system that we take a pause and then look at when we're going to have to tear this up again uh and and what our tool has used a gis based system with project prototyping emerging risk forecasting of what are going to be the issues that are going to emerge at the beginning of the project well even during the due diligence phase in capital formation when a carrier or a vendor is evaluating what franchise agreements and what might be actually the marketability of a particular investment over another. Um, and then looking at what's the cost going to be of that middle mile fabric between towns when it moves off of main interstates and then has to connect to a, to a, a tribal community that only has 5,000 folks, what's that going to cost? We estimate that um, in the tool, we're able to, to identify that if you were going to lay a new fiber cable on I-40, for instance, or across the country, I-20, that's about 15K a mile, right? An existing right-of-way, if it works in existing auxiliary lines, if you catch it at the right time, and you're not you're, you're not light trenching, but you're actually burying it, which is which obviously is, is, is the better way to do it, because when you light trench uh, 15 years from now, there'll be another dig process, and you have interruptions and in, in unpredictability, but in some cases, especially with water table and, uh, and groundwater levels, uh, uh, light trenching is, is is the only way to go about it. But when you're going to that middle mile fabric, it can get up to 25 to 45K a mile. And that's not just because of the purchase of right-of-way or existing private property owners or franchise agreements or easements. We have estimated based on this tool and working through it that the, the cost that can be squeezed out within existing statutes and existing regulations by just working the process better at the front end can save about 20 to 30%. And that number doesn't come out of thin air. That's what we're already seeing with projects that we're working on with some of the largest transmission and long linear projects in the country, because the experiences of transmission are analogous to broadband, are analogous to some of the local distribution natural gas uh, projects, because all of them uh, have this permitting requirements in many ways. And so the tool is, order, is, is, is necessary on the front end so that there is no mystification at the federal level about what you're about to embark on once you submit that federal application you're going to know the issues and never be surprised. And that helps you evaluate the true cost and the true risks of a project. I mean, it's it's a kind of I'm flabbergasted on the bureaucracy. You know, we got this $65 billion and the amount of time suck and resources going to be spent on permitting is kind of uh, unnerving. Um, is there a way to, you know, if you're putting in the road and you're putting other infrastructure in place, and these environmental studies have been done by others. Is there a way to piggyback rather than having every single, you know, say they even got multiple service providers coming along, you know, I-85 or whatever. I mean, rather than everybody having to submit a brand new environmental study on all the different agencies you talk about. Is there yeah, a way to- Yeah, I think, yeah, oftentimes what, what, uh, what government regulators forget is 99% of all infrastructure in this country is entirely supported by the private sector. The only public infrastructure that exists in this country uh, are, are uh, park service roads, uh, some locks and dams on the inland waterway system. Even the roads and bridges that we drive on are supported by gas taxes that are paid by uh, are paid by, uh, by by drivers. 
even that in the road and bridge system, that's only about 3% of all infrastructure. Everything else, whether it be transmission, whether it be broadband, whether it be water systems, all of those are backed initially on the construction phase by the private sector. And, and so it's important to recognize that, um, that, that it is incumbent on the project sponsor, those putting the capital at risk, they do have the opportunity to identify, hey, listen, there's a memorandum of understanding with FCC and, and the Corps of Engineers and RUS that DOE moves out of this part of the process and NTIA enters here. Those exist, but sometimes those are on the shelf and they have dust on them. And itemizing those, and you can't expect the 28-year-old uh, project manager at the Army Corps of Engineers that'll be the lead or a DOT to look back across other federal agencies with requirements of which they're not familiar with because they grew up in DOT, uh, it, to know what is already out there, what state data could easily suffice to replicate and, and meets the standards of the federal data so that they don't have to do yet another biological opinion on a species, for instance, um, when one already exists and it's still alive. Um, that, that is something that we tried to do with one federal decision in the administration. And at the end of the day, what, what I tried to achieve at the Federal Permit Improvement Steering Council, but here's the thing. Federal regulators are, they're human beings. It's an organic process. They do not get an additional benefit for shaving six months off of review. They don't get an additional benefit by, uh, instead of a se sequential, um, having a consolidated one-time concurrent approach working in tandem with agencies. They typically wait, let DOT do its work, then Fish and Wildlife will do its work, then the Corps will do their work. It is important for project sponsors and why the tool is so important. You can actually manage manage the process and suggest certain actions in your applications when you're approaching the federal government and present those opportunities to concur and consolidate and use existing data at the state and local level so that you don't have to end up doing those additional studies because at the end of the day like i said the project sponsor is paying for it not the taxpayer you get a bill at the end of the process so alex you know there are several provisions in the most recently passed infrastructure package you mentioned the one federal decision and the extension of authorization for the Federal um, Permitting Improvement Steering Council. You know, what impacts do these reforms have? Well, first of all, um, one federal decision is only for DOT transportation projects, so road, bridge, and transit projects. And I think a lot of people think one federal decision is across all infrastructure. It's not. It's just for those subset of projects. So it wouldn't even be applicable in, in the fiber broadband or the water or the transmission space. That's number one. Even in that context, one federal decision was an executive order when we put it together that was just doing one simple thing. It was one lead agency that was able to drive reform and accountability and timelines to the rest of their brethren within the federal family. So there was at least one accountable agency and to the maximum extent practical, reduce the size and the complexity of the documents. At the end of the day, it's an executive order that now has been codified in law, but it, it, it is, is ripe with loopholes such as if any agency deems it appropriate, with good cause, if another agency is delayed, for instance, DOT is waiting on the Corps of Engineers to look at a navigable waters impact for an Army Corps 404 permit, they hit pause on the timeline on, and the deadlines, and that can take as many as three or six months. That happens in an opaque, unconstrained, unaccountable time period of which they're waiting either on the project sponsor to get them additional information back or waiting on another agency to do its job that's not motivated to actually get them a response in a due part of time, because they have other stuff they're doing within their agency. So one federal decision is good in concept, but it's gonna take accountability and, and recognition that it's only for DOT and transit, it is not a panacea. And that's why I would say the illusion of progress is no progress at all. 
move over to the Federal Permitting Council and Steering Council, those are for the largest projects in the country, in the world. Those are for $200 million and above. Some of the larger, uh, even some of the largest fiber broadband projects in the country may not go above uh, $200, $400 million. Um, and and uh, in, unless they are long linear going over close to 70 miles. And, and sometimes those projects are broken up in separate environmental documents. Not, there's not one single big project that would be this, this mega project. The average project size on the Federal Permanent Improvement Steering Council, which is for all sectors, is $4.5 billion. So you've got this program for the big mega projects in the country, and then you got one federal decision that's just for DOT projects. Who's taking care of broadband in the middle? So I don't want anyone to think that things that were done in this bill are actually going to make the lives easier for those that aren't in those two buckets because they're not. And I don't. And what it's difficult when I was when I'm testifying in front of Congress or working uh, with some of the environmental groups and others, they're like, well, we just did a bunch of permitting. And I go, great. Well, how? And, and now we're at a perfect juncture where both with renewable energy expansion and others, I truly believe that permitting will no longer be this monolith controversial issue. And now, especially with as we as we recover out of COVID and, and the recognition that most of the, the, the infrastructure assets that we have in this country were built more than 50 years ago and are fracture critical and ripe for update, whether it be transmission, roads, bridges, or telecommunication network, what have you, um, there's now a confluence where the emperor's not wearing clothes anymore. We have to come to a deal and compromise and fix this caloric outdated process. Um, and, and now we're starting to see a softening of the hardened political standpoint of don't do anything, or sometimes the Republican side, it's roll it all back. There is a middle ground and a safe space to actually allow common sense to prevail, and it's already starting to happen. And I think that everything that I talked about today, absent those two programs, we don't need Congress to reduce 20 to 30% of overhead costs on fiber. There's a better way uh, and, and new voices and new technical, it's, it's, the, it's the confluence of technology and subject matter expertise, riding side saddle with those putting capital at risk, uh, and, and uh, the results are already bearing fruit. Well, Alex, uh, sounds like uh, there's a lot of work to be done on this, but I um, really appreciate you sharing your expertise and experience and insights with our audience. Um, next week, our um, topic and special guest will be Dr. Nicole Turner-Lee, the Director of the Center of Technology Innovation, who's gonna share with us her thoughts and research on digital equity. So you're not gonna wanna miss that. So thanks again for joining us today. Thanks, Alex, for being here and look forward to seeing Can you I guys. Can I go to that one too? Week. That one sounds great. Yeah, it will be. Appreciate, All right, Appreciate you. Guys.